Welcome, banter mites. It is so great to see your lovely faces again. And by that, I mean imagining your lovely faces listening to the podcast at home and on the road and whatever. But yes, uh, today is a special day because we are bringing back the banter view series. That's right. The interviews that we do with veterans in the film industry. It's been just about a year since our last interview uh, with Jason Marsden. That's right. The voice of Max Goof himself. And if you have not listened to that, definitely go back and listen to it. It was so much fun. Today, I had the chance to sit down and interview an Oscar-nominated director. And most recently, he directed the film Vivo, which actually reached the top of Netflix's most watched list for the month of August. Of course, when we're scheduling these interviews, we have to be very cognizant of the fact that the people we're trying to interview are often very busy on their next project, and we have to be flexible to just slide into their schedule whenever they uh, are available. Unfortunately, it didn't work out for Wes to be here, but it's okay, because he'll get to listen to this interview the same as you guys. Also, the audio quality is not the best. I didn't realize that the audio was clipping until I put it in and started editing it afterwards, but... But just bear with us. You should be able to make out uh, all the words being said for the most part. So, And yeah, so sit back and relax. Grab a cup of coffee and enjoy this interview with Kirk D'Amico. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by Oscar-nominated writer and director, Kirk D'Amico. Kirk, thanks so much for joining me. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Very cool. So, if you guys aren't familiar with Kirk, uh, he is probably most known for co-writing and co-directing The Croods with Chris Sanders for DreamWorks Animation. In addition to The Croods, he has written many films you might recognize, such as Quest for Camelot, Racing Stripes... Uh, he both wrote and directed Vanguard Animation Space Chimps, and then most recently, the Netflix original film uh, with Sony Pictures, Vivo. So, Kirk, I did some extensive digging uh, on the resume <laughs> and on the Wikipedia oh <laughs> and saw that you graduated from USC with majors in economics and political science. So, uh, Very Kirk, true. <laughs> tell setup. me. Good for animation. <laughs> yeah, tell me how you found your way into being a film writer, into animation, because yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't picture those as the uh, as the gateway. Yeah, well, you know, it was one of those opportunities that I, you know, either could have either gone into investment banking, hedge fund, or animation. So I chose animation. So that's the kind of guy I am, you know, really smart, looking forward, taking care <laughs> of the bottom line. Yeah. <laughs> There's only two things I enjoy other than film, like if I was to take the newspaper, and those would be the things. And so when I went to USC as an undergrad, I just started, I went, my junior year abroad, I took to England, and those they didn't have any film classes, and that's usually when you declare your major. And I just took a lot of poli-sci classes and economics classes while I was there. So when I came back my senior year, it was like, you know, you're going to have to go another two years or you can, you know, take this many classes and get out in June. And I was like, get me out in June. So that's kind of the way it was. It was not for, it didn't have a lot of planning, really, honestly. Um, uh, all the thing that planned was just to get to L.A. And, th and that day and age, I was just like, get to L.A. to get in the 
get in the movie business. That's all I wanted to do is like leave New Jersey, get to LA. That was basically <laughs> where the map, the map ended up at, you know, those, you know, schools in LA. That was it for me. So that was more the, the mission. And, you know, undergrad film in that day wasn't like that big, you know what I mean? It was, it was big, but it wasn't like it is now, you know what I mean? It's much more indoctrinated, I think, and stuff. Sure. So, um, you know, it was, it, there was still, you could take cinema classes, but you weren't, it wasn't, it was a different setup. And many people were like, just go to graduate school, which was kind of the plan was to just get undergraduate degrees and then go to a graduate program for film. That was kind of the idea at the time, but. Gotcha. I mean, yeah, I mean, at the time, like pretty much there was only a couple schools, right. That really went directly oh, yeah. in like the Cal arts and the, yeah, really not much. Uh, but yeah. And I was in sort of like early the early program was called thematic option at USC, which is a great program. Like, a, but that was like for the first two years, your freshman and sophomore year, and a lot of those kids would feed into the the, the film and stuff. So that was kind of a little bit of also why I put up worked extra hard in the first two years and just didn't party. So like I, I did do that homework to try to do it, but then I went away and you know it was like that was how it worked out. So. Sometimes it's just taking the organic path, the best route, you know, the path of least resistance. So film was on the mind uh, even oh, yeah. back. Okay, gotcha. So it wasn't just like yeah. a mid, mid-career mid or change where you're like, you know yeah. what? <laughs> well, gotcha. I had, I've had no other career. I've had no other job, honestly. I've been working other versions of everything in the movie business. You know, I was worked at William Morris as an assistant. Mm -hmm. I worked for an Italian film magazine. You know, I, but it's always been in and around movies so gotcha and and did you start writing scripts in college or it looks yeah, like I did. okay yeah i did i did i started writing because that's what i wanted to do and i but you know at that time i also was like kind of i didn't know much and it was it's totally different you know like one thing for it was really interesting i keep i to always think of a big reason why I even ended up at William Morris in those days is like, I wanted to be a writer. I knew it. And I needed, I like, I thought, Oh, it'd be great to get access to all of these scripts. You know, now you just go on the internet, boom, you do it. But 1990 wasn't like there was thousands of script sites, you know? <laughs> so it was like, you know, you went and you did it and I just did coverage for years. Or I, you know, it was like an intern in a summer for a production company because I got closer to scripts and, you know, that kind of stuff. It was just, uh, you know, you almost had to be hands-on because there was, you know, now it's a little different story. You can be, you do things through the internet, but I was more hands-on in that. So uh, that's kind of a couple of those decisions came from that. Gotcha. That makes sense. And then at some point you were signed on to write for Quest for Camelot with Warner Brothers, which I was actually yeah. really excited to see on your resume because that was a movie that somehow ended up uh, on VHS in my uh, in my parents' oh, like nice. stash of movies as a kid, I watched it quite a few times. Uh, it definitely was a Warner Brothers attempt to like capture that Disney yep. 1990s formula oh, yeah. of the the oh, musical yeah. with the star-studded voice cast. Uh, Gary Oldman, yeah. Don Rickles, Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. So success or not, Quest for Camelot very much part of my childhood, and I watched nice. it. Very, it was on Netflix recently, and I watched it again. Yeah, I think oh, wow. last year it was on Netflix for a while. Oh, wow. I'm not sure if it still That's is. So funny. But uh, yeah. yeah, how do you look back on that experience? Uh, is there anything that you would have done differently with the film? Did your creative like process? Did it? Would you have made different decisions on the direction of the the, the story? Yeah, you know, look, I that one pretty much was my first in my first uh, uh, 
experience having a job candidly you know what i mean so it was like i had i had fallen into that career i fell into it and it became a career what happened was i had sold an action screenplay at a spec auction uh to an amazing producer named arnold copelson who did the fugitive blah, blah blah he did everything in those days the warner brothers so that movie was going to get made and i was doing a lot of rewrites on action movies at the studio in the action years and mid-90s and at one point they said, oh, we've got this animated movie we're doing and we need somebody to show up and do some rewrites on the action scenes. And that's all it was. It was supposed to be like a job. And, you know, I was like, I was only a year away from being an assistant, like eight months away. So if there any, if somebody told me, write anything and they're going to pay me, I was going to do it. Like it was just, mm-hmm. there was the, I didn't, was, I was like, of course, of course, sir, where do I go? You know? And so when I showed up into that, at first, I was like, what do you mean animation? Like, I don't draw. Because, honestly, it wasn't like all these screenwriters showing up in animation in those days. You know, it was like Disney was the only one, as you quoted. You know, and Don Bluth, you know. And those were kind of like, how did they get made? You know, screenwriting, there wasn't college classes about all that, about being a writer. You know, I knew people storyboarded vaguely. You know, I kind of knew about that. Um, I knew enough to know that they, I thought they wrote it, which a lot of times they had prior to that period of time when screenwriters started showing up, you know? So, but the one thing it did was it was, it got me in there and I just like fell in love with the storyboard process and working with story artists and editing, you know, like it was an recording cause I got to go as a writer and I was the sixth or eighth or 10th or 12th writer. I don't know what number I was. Mm. Okay. So I was maybe, I think I was the last, but I think I was, I was way down the list. Okay. Um, so in those days, I it was a very large rewrite. Um, it was and and so much of it was done because there was already songs. So I didn't. I don't know if I could have changed anything. One thing I think was just, you know, one thing I just am thankful for is it like it did. It opened up a whole new path for me and in, in my career because I just really fell in love with the process. And candidly, before I had been done doing some action movies with some action stars in the midnight, and I was like, oh, like, oh my god, these people are crazy. This is not a fun environment. I'm, like, I'm going to get killed. So it was, a, it was a nice, you know, when you were doing, if I went from working with nice storyboard artists from doing rewrites for Steven Seagal, it was like, okay, I'm going to go do work with storyboard artists, because there's less of a chance of me getting killed. So, <laughs> you know, I think that that was, um, it was a great opportunity, like I said, and it just opened up a whole new world. And so I started writing more and more in animation. And I got a chance afterwards to, they said, okay, hey, you seem to really like this. What do you want to do? And I got a chance to, I was like, this is, this, you know, this DC, Jack Kirby, you have DC. I love New Gods. And they let me adapt a, a, a version of it, which we tried to get made. And then the whole studio got closed down. But mm. but so I was, I, was, I was starting to think of like, oh, I could do different things with this. And that, you know, the, what they did with Quest really had very little to do with me except for, um, you know, the idea that I did get to sit in a room with people like the Gary Oldmans and write for, you know, that was amazing, you know, and see That's how awesome. they work and, and also see how the artists work. And I was like, oh, shoot, this is a really fun medium. Like, this is, this is, I just knew, I was like, this is, I know whatever the missteps and the, you know, and the, and the stumbles they had there, but I was like, it's going to be more than just Disney. I just knew it in my heart. I was like, this is going to keep going. Like, this is just, this way of making movies is not going to go away just because they stumbled at one studio. So, and I was right. <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, fair assessment. Yeah. Uh, Brad Bird then was the next director for yeah. Warner Brothers with Iron Giant, I believe. And he was quoted saying that 
the Warner Brothers executives were micromanagers, which kind of hurt their uh, the chances of of the studio back in that time. I don't know if that's something you experienced as a writer or or not so much. Well, you know, I think yeah, his experience would have been. I mean, as a director, I you would feel it a lot more always than a writer. You know, sure. especially a writer who shows up as late as I did. Um, so, you know, I think that that probably would be a fair set, but I think it's also the, um, you know, it's just a matter of vision. And, and, and I remember at that time, uh, you know, those guys being around and seeing what they were trying to do. And it made sense that they were trying to push in a little di- a different direction than what you just what you said at the top, which was, you know, a facsimile copy of Disney. Um, so that would have been a good idea, but it's also, it was super scary for them because they were in uncharted territory and it's a lot of money being shelled out. And I think, I think that's probably what it was. You know, there's still, you know, there's still a thing that, you know, live action executives and live action filmmaking is such a different thing that, you know, there's, there's ways of at the end of a day when you, you know, they say yes to a script and then they put big stars and they shoot it and you look at the footage, you go, wow, that looks pretty good at some, you know what I mean? Like, wow, that actor looks like a movie star. This looks like a movie. Our things don't look like a movie until the last eight, 12 weeks. You know what I mean? Like yeah. for a very long time, you have to have a strong sense of conviction that this scratchy drawn weird you know beast is going to turn into like you know something beautiful gotcha okay well i didn't realize that you came in very really late to that process so maybe i'm assuming most of the story was already kind of put together uh just finishing rewrites uh before moving on to your next project which was uh at least the next one i wrote down here is as directing and writing for vanguard space chimps is that your next yeah, project or yeah, did you have yeah. something in between? I think, like, well, I think Racing Stripes and I did some okay. other, I mean, I had other stuff. I mean, I kept working, but things that got made, yeah, that's the thing, you know? So there, as a writer, there's a lot of writing that happens and a lot of jobs that never turn into anything, you know? Sure. So, um, you know, and uh, it's kind of crazy because some of them are still percolating, which is yeah. the, the amazing part of this business. But the... Um, yeah, so that was the other thing. But I did meet the director, Frederick Duchot, who was the director of Quest, and we became buddies, and we really liked working together. And then he went off. He had this project, um, and so we kind of came up with the, uh, the the zebra idea of that, and that became what that movie was. And like I was a writer I, on that, and it was really fun to work with him, and then he went off and made it. And what Space Gems was, it was a script that I had sold as a spec kind of situation, which is odd because today my wife said that it's the 60th anniversary of this chimp going into space. So there we go. <laughs> That's cool. It's a big day for, for chimps in space. But yeah, it was just an idea I had about doing it. And I had a completely different take of it. And I sold it like in 2001, I think, around then. And then didn't hear anything. It just kind of disappeared. And then many, many years later, 2006, 2007, whenever it was, I got a call from Barry Sonnenfeld who was producing it. And I had written something for him previously. And he said, hey, Kirk, I see your names on this. Why don't you come up and do it? I'm producing it. So I was like, what? So I came up just as a writer again. And he was kind of directing it. And then he left. And I was all standing there. And I think they just said, oh, you're the director. And I was like, okay. You know, it was like one of those opportunities. I was like, do I really want to? But, you know, there's such a thing that you kind of sometimes just got to go for it you know because it's like if you wait for everything to be like you know overthink it and uh i don't know you might not get a chance and 
it was I was already full time writing on what became the Crudes because I started writing it with John Cleese. So I started writing that in two thousand three. So I was already writing that at DreamWorks. So this became sort of a and that movie was in a bit of a weird zone because the Crudes was started with Ardman and then Ardman and DreamWorks stopped working together. And it was this weird little fallow period before Chris Sanders showed up. So I had time, I had the opportunity and it was like, it's going to be done in 10 months. And I was like, well, you got 10 months. And I'll never forget at that time, Chris Sanders, I asked him, I go, dude, should I do this? It's not going to be the best looking thing. And I mean, it's like kind of a low budget, whatever. And he's like, Kirk, he's like, do you realize this was 2007? He goes, do you realize more, people have walked on the moon and directed a CG animated film. And I was like, you're right. Because at that point, if you did the numbers, Disney wasn't doing many CG films. So it was really just DreamWorks and Pixar. And a lot of those were two-time directors, right? So it's like, if you added up the amount of people, now it's like, obviously, you swing a cat and you hit somebody's director, <laughs> right? But, but... You know, the, the thing then was it was pretty rare, you know, so I did learn quite a bit because just understanding from what I observed in the 2D world of Quest, which was a long, you know, 10 years before, nine years before, was, but seeing that into CG was still a great learning experience, you know, so that I was like, okay, I can get it. And for me, luckily it worked out in the sense that Chris got called into duty on How to Train Your Dragon and they were like, well... You directed. Do you want to step up? You know, step up and direct this thing with Chris. And I was like, yeah. So I think in some ways, if I hadn't done that one thing, they wouldn't have thought about me. I don't know if they would have promoted me as a writer at a big studio like that. They now they kind of do some places, but even that, no one had done that. You know, I mean, writers weren't really becoming directors very often in in animation. They're coming from story only, pretty much. Yeah. What What was that that transition like for you? Like even when you went from even just from quest to space chimps as a director uh what was that transition of of like picking up the director's hat you know yeah you know the thing is is also on space chimps the one thing that i didn't get to do very much of because when i showed up they had already had directors on it who had Mm. built the world and the budget was already set i didn't get to do any design or anything as a director like that was not i was still doing the writing the storyboarding working with andy sandberg on recording and you know i mean that was the bulk of my job right so it wasn't until crudes that i got a chance to be on that part of the 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 picture you know what i mean so it's like the transition was 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 more about the you know the making of the film than the designing or the vision of the film like in some ways um so it was like a writer plus kind of deal you know what i mean like in some ways because it it felt like even animation we had a strong animation head and we were going so fast that it i didn't really have a ton of input in there just because we had so little time and you know you would just kind of express things and it was just like okay we did it what it's finished (laughs) it wasn't like in our process of at a feature of our budgets now where you know you're really in the in the in the in the mix um, as a director through all the parts. Uh, so, yeah, so I feel like that that had, that had was maybe made it a little easier in some ways. And the other thing was is I learned a ton because Barry had, you know, was still a producer and, uh, you know, and all the camera work came pretty much from him. So I got to just kind of be like, ooh, maybe we add this, like for the storytelling, but the style of the cinematography and stuff, I got to sit in audience and just learn, you know. Wow, sounds like a, a super yeah. easy kind of path in and 
Um, oh yeah, super. Yeah, I mean, I actually haven't seen spaceships. Yeah. I've. <laughs> It's cute. It's cute. It's got some silly stuff. Randy put a lot of silly stuff in it. It's just it's got it's got a it's got a good little charming little heart. Some people, you know, it's it's a silly little diversion kind of film, but um, you know, I just wish it would have had it. You know, because it was space and all that stuff, and the alien. You know, it's just you are like, oh man, if we had money, it would be a little cuter. But anyway, but that's a uh, but that's you know, it happens. And, um, but it, it was for the time, and to, you know, that was one of the first independent kind of theatrical releases, you know, and it did enough yeah. to make a, a video, a video too. So in those days, it was a different, again, it was a, it was a different time, a different world. So, yeah, because the first uh, Vanguard film was actually uh, produced for Disney, right? And then the second one, or That's I right. don't know if this was this, this one was actually independent. So. Yeah, exactly, uh, exactly, and then picked up by Fox. That's what it was. They picked okay. up, sure. But gotcha, gotcha. Uh, so I looking on your your bio, I it says that you've done some production rewrites for a variety of studios, including Disney, and I can't find any information on which films for Disney you might have contributed to. So I'm just curious if there's anything you can say about that um, before I move on to some crudes. Yeah, I did some rewrites and I also sold some stuff. I there was a movie I wrote with John Cleese called the based on the Roald Dahl book, The Twits. We sold to Disney. This is live action, not Disney animation. So it's all it was it was live action. I never worked in animation there, um, and I did um, some rewrites on some other family films over there. You know, like you know, a couple weeks here and there, but live action again, like a uh, hybrid kind of stuff. Um, gotcha. So uh, yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, it was uh, those, those are the kind, but not Disney animation. Gotcha. All right, that was what I wanted to check. Yeah, just just in case, you know, don't don't want to miss anything exciting. Um, yeah. Which I'm yeah. sure that's yeah. all exciting too in its own way, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 totally. But yeah, but it's always like trying to get, you know, it's it's part of what it is. Is you're working so much on movies that, you know, is a, de- a development. So it's hard to get anything greenlit. Yeah. I'm. How many would you say scripts you worked on, like? proportion wise scripts you worked on versus scripts that got made oh man i don't know it's hard to tell because you know that i really kind of went full-time and it's not probably as many of how long i've been doing this because i kind of went full-time animation in 2006 and so for the past 50 years i've really just been working on the crudes and vivo and now new job you know what i mean so it's like i've kind of concentrated on so that's kind of helped but in the early days I think it was, I don't know what the batting average was, but it was a lot, you know, but a lot of people have, a, you know, have done a lot more and have only had one thing made and they've been doing, they write every day professionally and, you know, 10, 12, 20 years. So, um, you know, it's, it, it takes quite a few. Gotcha. Uh, so then in, you said you were started working on the crudes back in 2003 with John Cleese, right? And then. Yeah. Uh, looks like you were originally doing it for Ardman, like you already said, and then you joined the project with Chris Sanders. When did Chris. you say you joined that project with Chris? I think he came in like 2007, I think. I don't know why I'm using I think it's around then, because I know it was before I did Space Chimps, and I think I was up there in 2007, because the movie came out in 2008, and I was there for like 10 months in Vancouver, so I'm pretty sure that's around when. So I, Yeah, because I was still writing while I was up there um with him um so yeah i think so and then you were asked to move into direct when he left for how to train your dragon is that you said yeah yeah exactly then that must have been 2009 so because i think yeah i think so yeah so yeah so i was asked to step in you know he had uh 
to keep it moving, you know, because he was going to step off. And if it didn't, if you can, you know, we had a crew, we had a good, you know, we had a good story going. We had a, you know, we had a, there was a belief in it. So it was to keep the, keep the train moving. Um, what was like, what, what did you learn? I don't know. It's sounding like you didn't actually work with Chris a lot because he left or at least maybe direct with Chris. Did you work as a writer when Chris was still there? What was it like working with him? I mean, already a very accomplished um, yeah, director of animation with Lilo Stitch. What did you learn yeah. from him? Well, the um, the thing, well, we, we directed together for pretty much the, everything because the, the when he came back from okay. Dragons, we, you know, we had, uh, you know, we all the animation, all of her, all everything, you know, so that was from 2010 to 2013. So the three years when we made the movie after Dragons, really, you know, so it was mostly just uh, writing and, and some design exploration and some early boarding while he was gone. And then when he came back, we really worked in earnest for the three years. So, um, no, it was great. I mean, I, I enjoyed, we enjoyed it, you know, had a blast. Um, and, you know, we really, uh, it was a special little movie for the studio because it had this, um, you know, big heart, but it was a big comedy. And uh, and it had the big, really cool big scale, which is, you know, hard to, to find the stories that have such great scale and scope. Um, so that really united us. And, and the fact that all the characters were just so eminently sweet and, and we got to, you know, kind of play our, it kind of played to our strengths as writers, I think. Um, that's probably why we wrote it that way. Um, but, uh, you know, it was, it was just that, cause it was, it had the right amount of unexpected silliness, but then again, I, or, or the other way around the unexpected, uh, drama or depth, uh, of an emotional journey that was kind of snuck in there. Um, which is, was, was kind of both the, if, when we talk about movies, those are our favorite types. So that was what that was. Yeah, I, I really the Croods was a surprise for me because I didn't really see it coming, and then I ended up loving it. Um, with I mean, you've got Nicolas Cage, Emma Stone, like some Oscar-winning uh, actors doing voices, and a lot of heart, a lot of comedy. Ryan Reynolds, of course, he's hilarious. Uh, so yeah, the Croods. When like, what was the difference in in some of the original script that you wrote with John Cleese back in two thousand three, two thousand five? Um, versus how it ended up being written, how it what what was the what was the difference in the changed film or the finished film there? I think the biggest change, well, one giant change was it was decidedly more British humor in this mm. in the in the vein of like a chicken run at the uh, or you know <laughs> at the at pirates or what they did with early man. So and but I, and it was the idea even if it was going to be CG, it still had that stop motion sort of feel, which I think. Or it was going to be stop motion, and I think that scale-wise, that was a big thing because obviously, when we said, "Oh, hey, we're going to do a CG movie," it, it made a big difference. It wasn't about; it was more about a, a couple villages and, and and groups of of cavemen and the comedy that interplay. And then when we were like, "Hey, we're making it as a CG feature," and that was when the idea and I had pitched to Chris, like, "What if it's a road trip with a family looking for a new cave?" And he's like, "Yep, let's do that." <laughs> and so. Because yeah, we had to get out of the town. We were like, how are we going to make this town work? It's just, why are we doing an animation? It, there was there had been like, you know, a couple caveman comedies already in live action. And there have been some things. And it looked it kept feeling a little too Flintstones. It was like, you know, you want to see adventure. with I, We wanted to. That was what intrigued us. So that kind of made the big change, I think. It went from more of a, maybe a domestic story to an adventure story. Okay. Gotcha. And, and you mentioned Early Man, which 
is like sort of in the same vein and that did get made for Hardman. Do you think that they kind of, you know, kept running with your idea a little bit and made their own thing? I mean, I think think it might, well, they might, it might've been, I don't know, our, but I think that idea was floating around there and they kept going. So yeah, I mean, you know, good on, good on them. (laughs) Good on, hey, make money where it's, where it's there. Yeah, plenty of came in to go around it, I like <laughs> to say. Come on. Who fires yeah. of them? Who can fire? <laughs> when did you know you were getting Nicolas Cage? Did you have Nicolas Cage in your mind for the voice of Grug? Or was there some other actors in the works for that? Well, there was other suggestions, but Chris and I loved, we both loved Nicolas Cage. And so the thing was is that, uh, you know, we knew that it was a kind of a difficult role because He's, you know, at the top of the film, he's a tough dad. He's super strict. He's grabbing his daughter. He's like, get inside, you know. He's and you needed a character, an actor, who you just know has the weight of the world on his shoulder and is just eminently sympathetic, which is what Nick does. You know, it's like he is just a lovable kind of, his voice, the way he performs. Even when he's angry, you're still like, you know, he can, he can make it work that you're just feeling the uh, warmth. And, and, and the, the weight of the, like I say, the weight of the world on his shoulder. So that one was, we really just, uh, we were very lucky to find, get him to say yes. And then Emma Stone wasn't quite Emma Stone yet. She had only been cast in one movie and Chris and I saw her in this movie called Easy A. Mm-hmm. And we're like, what about that, this girl? And we were just very lucky that DreamWorks had cast her in the help at the same time. And they were like, she's going to be a star. And so that was enough um to uh to, to get that one and ryan was you know had been doing a bunch of movies at that time so um you know that was a little bit uh, a little bit more of an easy sell to the studio mm. you got the nomination the oscar nomination for best animated picture with crudes uh, unfortunately you lost to the juggernaut of frozen uh and the millions <laughs> of millions of eight-year-old girls that supported that decision for for Mowed the Oscar. down. Mowed <laughs> down. Mowed down. It was uh it was a uh, it was a massacre, my friend. And I was, it was uh, yeah, well I mean look, that was uh you know, of all the years, right? But uh you know, you um yeah, that was I remember it was like, well, that's you know, it was like when the after the first time you see it, it's like, well, that's not a movie, that's a religion. We're done. So let's just have fun. Let's enjoy it. let's enjoy the ride, you know? Like, yeah. okay, we'll go to some parties. Yeah, um, I mean, you got cool. to go yeah. to the the Academy Awards for yeah. that and celebrate. Yeah. That's fun. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that was. I mean, if you think about it, really, it's still, it's still a quite an. I look. I don't know. I will throw it out there, but I mean, that was a 2013. I don't know if we'll ever see anything like that again. You know, I mean, I don't know if theatrical animation is ever going to reach that height of what that. You know, it was an amazing. It was like kind of a star wars ish moment in you know in in what it was you know what that movie could achieve is super amazing what they were able to do and 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 just the you know everything just the power of the story and the song but also the uh the company so it's really cool to you know for animation you know it's the thing you're always rooting for it because like i said i've worked at with you know, I came up in places where people were like, there's no more animation. We're getting out of the business. And so, you know, I've seen places close. You've seen, and I don't yeah. like seeing any of that. I, you know, I'm rooting for everybody. I mean, I, a healthy, you know, we all just want a healthy uh, industry, you know, because that's what we do. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, I I uh, talked to Tom Bancroft from Disney Animation uh, a couple years yeah. ago, and in his story is about how you know the Florida studio got closed down because they thought right. 2D animation was was donezo. So he had to float around. Eventually, came yeah. back or or no, he left and then came back right before it closed, and then had to go find another job. So, yeah, uh, it's a totally different um, atmosphere now. Looking at animation and Netflix is like buying up every animated piece that they can find. Um, pretty exciting, pretty exciting for, I'm sure you and for other, lots of other people in animation, but yeah, after the crudes, you, I think it looks like you worked a little bit on crudes too, but you were, when, when did the opportunity to the idea behind Vivo? When did you meet Lin-Manuel? Because that's, it seems like that's the next big thing. Yeah. That, that came about like, um, uh, we, Chris and I were working on it and then, um, we had written, you know, been working with every, you know, starting it out, but then the uh, merger, buyout, whatever it was, uh, corporate leverage buyout, whatever, of DreamWorks uh, happened, and it was time to go. So it was, we were all like, you know, and so my producer at Crudes, Christine Belson, had already gone to Sony, and while I was on Crudes 2, you know, the time she kept saying, like, come over to Sony, come over to Sony. And I'm like, well, we got this crew, and I feel, you know, like, I, you know, we all had loyalty to the, the movie still, and we wanted to do something good, and we wanted to make a hit for them because we kind of, DreamWorks desperately needed one. And um, so we were we were there. But then once the bio came, it was like, okay. And then she got said, I went to Sony, and I had an idea for some other film, and um, we were just going to start working together. And luckily, this project they had bought it in turnaround from DreamWorks, actually. So it was started there in 2009 by Lynn. And then they had that project. And I vaguely remembered the name. And, you know, I kind of knew about it through uh, um, working there. Um, but I had never worked on it or, or had been around it, um, exposed to the actual material, until I got to Sony. And I heard the songs that were done as a demo for the first script that was written. And I just fell in love with it. So... I just, you know, at first I was thinking like, okay, I can help out because I was not determined that I was going to direct. And so I was, I was like, okay, maybe I can help out. Maybe I can write. And then I started, I met with Lynn and kind of pitched the idea of what I would do to fix the story. And he was like, yeah, this is awesome. Uh, well, why are, are you directing? And I was like, yes, I will. Uh, so yeah, that kind of happened. Um uh, in in that respect, I was very, I was just keen to help. Honestly, I just loved it, and I, I just loved the passion that he had for the songs and the and the and the core story, um, and what it meant to him. And musically, I just knew, wow, this is such an important and you know amazing time to be working uh, with him and his team with Alex Lacamoire, and then with Kiara Udes, who came in. Uh, and wrote, and I, you know, wrote by herself for most of the first year and really cracked the story um, and the new story, what became the film. And then, you know, we wrote together on it uh, for the subsequent years. Um, but yeah, it was a really cool opportunity. It was like one, one of those things that you're just uh, listening to the songs, you know, just even in the demo and you can just see it. And And I know the power of it because every time we'd let a story artist or a visual viz dev artist have any demo stuff would come back and it would be like gold. They were so inspired. They were so excited. They were just wanted to, you know, create art based on the, his music. So, um, it was a, that was a pretty exciting time. So with Vivo, you said you came in and yep. you pitched some ideas, how to change it. And what were some of the big changes that were made, um, to the story that bef- like, as it was on its way to being released? 
Yeah, the the big story, the big, I mean, one of the big changes we had was the, I, I just was looking, you know, the, the, the picture that first was at DreamWorks was more of just animals on the road together on a journey, still from Cuba to Miami, but it was Devo and, 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 and two other, three other, four other animals, meeting animals, and so... I wanted to bring some human into it um, for because at the end of the day, it, the thing was is when it got to the end of the movie, you kept on going like, will he live with animals or will he live with humans? And that really wasn't the story because he was in love with his human partner, you know, and Drace was everything to him. So it really wasn't about like, will he return to the wild? For me, it wasn't. You know, I didn't understand what would be in, of interest in that. And so it really had to be, you know, he had to have a home at the end because we knew he was losing his home in the first act. Um, there, you know, Andres was going to pass away. So the thing was, is how can he earn a home? You know, how can we, how can we, uh, you know, have the audience believe at the end he's at the right house, you know, he's with the right person. And so the idea developed and, and, and Kiara pitched this idea of this Gabby character based mostly on her sister, real life sister is larger than life. And, um, you know, it just worked because there was two things that I had going for it. One was having a great character like Gabby that Lynn could write music to that was completely different than other stuff he's written for. And also um, the idea that, you know, Viva was a classically trained musician who had grown up with a gentleman, older man, and now he's stuck with a tween tornado. You know, it's like pushing him out of his comfort zone for both the comedy and his own personal growth, right? So... Um, he, you know, teaming up with someone like that, uh, it just felt like a, a good fit. So that was the big one. And then focusing on building a love story that Andres was the idea of bringing a love song to Miami to meet to this woman was something that we came up with. So I felt like those are the two biggest things was really rooting this film in romance which is you know a hard thing to do in animation for kids but yeah i think we were able to balance enough with the stuff that it makes it enjoyable for you know the kids but at the same time it speaks to a lot uh, a more deep and, and and sort of you know quote grown-up story you know mm -hmm. about loss and love and grief and romance um which is something that you know, I think the best musicals have in it. So um, that was that was sort of the the balancing act of that film. Mm. Yeah, and and you did you guys did such a great job with some of the emotional uh, songs as well. I mean, I just think of the way. Uh, I mean, you send out uh, Andres with uh, Lin Manuel song. I think it's one more song is his mm -hmm. like farewell song, and yeah, just. I don't. I did not expect when I was watching the movie that it would like bring me darn near tears. Like I was like, "Oh, Vivo, you know, fun kids movie with great songs." And then I'm like, "Whoa, this is actually hitting me on an emotional level." Um, so that was really a pleasant surprise. Um, but yeah, so it was that. I mean, you, what was this aimed kind of more at kids? And then you were like, "Let's, you know, like try to turn this more into something that can be." connecting with people emotionally and and reach a bigger audience because obviously like it worked like you were the most vivo is the most watched movie on netflix in the month of august i believe it was still second in september um so definitely successful yeah and and was that goal uh to just be a, a family connected movie reaching 
yeah, like you said, adults and kids. And yeah, there was, it really we you know in in a way you know there's there, it could have it could have been you know it's funny like the one thing that Leno is like it's this kid's favorite thing he's ever done. You know what I mean? Like his kids our kids love it at the, so which is awesome. We want them to have to you know sing the songs and and you know because there's also the ver you know there's the part of it that. You were talking about representation and 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 a culture that hasn't been represented in in a way and in Cuba. So there's a lot to pay um, respect to and to be mindful of that. We, this was a real real place. You know, this wasn't just a fantasy world where we we're doing a musical. So it had to have been steeped in that authenticity. And so I think to have not had that emotional part would have kind of felt a little shallow, honestly, like, because there is, it's so much, it's not just because it's a musical about music, you know, mm. but it, you know, the themes are, are what, you know, what people write music about really, you know what I mean? Really what it is. So to have that mixed in and then, yeah. And then you can have this cool, you know, girl anthem, uh, in, in own drum because that there's plenty of space for it. Um, but to your point about own, you know, uh, one more song or keep the beat that Lynn wrote, you know, those are very uh, emotional, narrative-driven songs that I think he's so, you know, what was super, you know, interesting and unique about the film was, you know, he is not only the the singer, he's the songwriter. So he was writing them for himself. You know, a lot of everything else you hear pretty much is somebody writing it. They have a connection to the material and then they ask a write, a, a singer to interpret that connection. Lynn didn't need anybody to explain the interpretation of the connection to the material because he wrote the material. You know, when he's singing yeah. it, he's singing it from the artist's voices. You know, it's a song he wrote for himself. He's a singer songwriter in those, in the, in those scenes, you know? So I think that that's the connection. And then when you have a song like, you know, inside your heart being sung by Gloria Stefan, Gloria brought, you know, her connection to the music, to the culture, to what she's done and what it meant to her to sing that song. And, and same with uh, Juan DeMarcos, you know, in the opening song, and in Mambo Cabana, who is, you know, the founding member of the Buena Vista Social Club. And I always remember this time where we recorded him and we were in L.A. at a record studio kind of thing outside of our normal little voice recording st mm. setup. And he was like outside having the cigar on the street. And I was just hanging out with him. And he was just like, thank you so much for doing this because, you know, Cuban music you know, we don't have record companies. So a lot of, a lot of the sound, Buena Vista Social Club was a long time ago and kids might not hear this sound if not for this movie, you know, like there's a Cuban sound to, and a Cuban richness to the music. And as a Cuban singer like himself, they would, you know, kids would now have heard that. And so I think for that reason alone, it had to be, have some weight to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It had to have some, some there there or you weren't really, I think you're just, you know, be trading on the, on the, on the style. Um, so it felt like it had to have that depth to, to all of us. And I think that's what Lynn connected to and kept on connecting to, um, as we developed the movie with him for four years. Mm. Yeah. And, and it sounds like Lynn has been working on this, like you said, 2009 or something so so well yeah. before he's i mean he is now well obviously before. taken over the musical and yeah. and songwriting of all kinds of movies animated movies moana i mean like all kinds of stuff i yep. know he's doing encanto this year i think for disney and yep. um so yeah so how how was it like 
working with him from the beginning to as things started exploding, Hamilton going on Disney Plus and in the Heights now this year. Yeah. Did things change from the beginning to the end? No, you know, so so the, he started after In the Heights at DreamWorks before Hamilton, but we did. I didn't start working until 2016, so I I saw post the Hamilton, but yeah, and still all that stuff was going like you're saying the streaming and stuff. I I know that you know for me it was I was always you know his his commitment to the story and and his connection to it, and maybe it was a little bit because he does have young kids too that on top of it, and uh, you know so it had that addition that. Um, you know, there was a great connection to the material and he was doing the voice, right? Because that was the really fun thing was a lot of times you're recording actors and they don't, you know, we, we wait six months, right? Or, you know, in between sessions because it takes us time to do rewrites and takes us time to screen and learn and come back. And a lot of times you get it, no matter who the actor is, and they like, you know, what's this movie called? You're like, oh, it's called you. And what's my character? Because they might have done four movies, right? I mean, they're busy people. They might have yeah. been, you know, I'm being a little, little extreme, but, you know, in some way you have to remind them of where they were, what the thing, and sometimes it's like, can you play me back my voice so I can just hear it? Because they might have, like I said, they might have played five characters between the last time you saw them. You know what I mean? And, and so... And with this one, it was completely different because he was a singer, because he was the songwriter and he was working with partners like Alex and Kiara. He was always connected in some way. May not have been all day long like us, you know, but in some way he knew of what we were doing. Whenever we weren't waiting for giant milestones like, hey, we've got a whole screening to show you. It would be maybe an act. Maybe an idea, or hey, this is an area a song could go, you know, and see what he said. So, there, I always had a we, you know, we would go back and forth, you know, sometimes it would just be a text, like, hey, I'm just thinking of this, and he'd be like, you know, go for it, you know, like that was it, or you know, an email, or it was a meeting, or um, but the um, it was uh, there was a lot of check ins because you know, like I said, it wasn't just checking in with him as an actor or a singer it was that checking in as a as the writer you know i mean it was more than just songwriting there's nine songs in the movie it's not like it was three songs and a lot of action sequences i mean there's songs throughout and that was one of the things that he um very much wanted you know to make this a musical musical you know that it um that are even our third act I mean, he was rewriting that those songs until the very end. You know, the the last few songs like um, uh, Miami. You know, as they're racing into Miami, um, that song was done. He cobbled together like five or six scenes that we had made and built that basically to wrote a song perfect for that moment mm. um, in like the last couple months of production. So is that the that's ongoing. the running out of time song? Yeah. 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 Exactly. And and you see how that works is like so that one and keep the beat but that one in particular you'll see there's some dialogue in there between the characters and Zoe Saldana sings those were all scenes those were all little written scenes that Zoe had you know said the lines um, with Leslie and then at the bus or you know Gabby and Vivo and the Sand Dollar said goodbye on a dock and then he kind of took the best of the best pieces and put it together in a song so. That, like I say, that was a, that's an opportunity where you're like, it's not just songwriting, it's writing. You know, it's like it's narr it's narrative. He's he's creating the mu he's creating the musical. Mm -hmm. 
It's not yeah. like movie insert song by famous <laughs> writer here, yeah. you know, which yeah. happened. Insert Celine Dion singing whatever. Which is what happened on Crude's, which has happened when on Quest for Camelot, you know, yeah. which, which I saw early on, which, which was insert Celine Dion, and that <laughs> song, you know. Yep, true. Hey, the song got nominated, exactly. right, for best song, but, but you're right that it yeah. was, it didn't connect maybe with the rest of the movie as well um, as some of the right. Vivo songs. Uh and, and one yeah. thing you mentioned, you talked about Miami and and Cuba and Key West. This is a movie that really has a lot of different, I think it has four or five different, dis, like distinctly different settings because you've got right. the Key West, like Old Town Key West. You've got um, yeah. the tourist Key West. You've got Miami. You've got Everglades and then Cuba. And, and I'm actually, I, I live down here in Orlando. And so like these are all... These are all settings yeah. that connect with me that I've been to, except for Cuba, never been to Cuba. But that was actually super cool to see all like the journey through all these different places. And it all takes place in like a, a one day period. But it's it looks like you worked a little bit brought in with Ro- legendary cinematographer Roger Deakins as a visual consultant. Did he help contribute to like the building of all these settings? Um, yeah. What was that process of building out the different kind of checkpoints in the in the plot? Yeah, it was Roger. We were lucky on this to bring him in very early, um, before we had really started. Um, he had worked on Crudes and Dragons. That's how I knew him. Um, but on Vivo was interesting because, you know, in in those other movies, there's almost one style of of cinematography, and in this one, there was, as you're saying, varied looks, different lighting, but also different cinematography because we had the musical numbers versus the quote-unquote real world. So there was like a fantasy camera, fantasy look, uh, Mambo Cabana in particular, or, or my own drum, which really blew out all the rules. And so it was great to have somebody like Roger and uh, really inform and help sort of give continuity of camera and lighting because you know in our world those are two very different departments in animation the cinematography is in the layout and camera lighting is in a different department and and he being brought in as early as he was um, really helped to gel those two departments and also really got all the uh, artists it just all the artists were so excited it made the experience for them even more valuable you know um i would just sit there and learn every day and listen and um our art director andy harkness who just did such a great job of, of really bringing the light to it all and painting what roger was seeing and what roger would give you know li- real life photo reference to andy and they would work together and then working with young Duck John, our cinematographer, or Carlos Zaragoza, our production designer, and then Carl Herbst, our, our visual effects supervisor. That was this team of four plus Roger who they would work with and you know, made a lot of choices that helped to unify the film. You know, Because if not, you might, it would have maybe some sort of, I don't know, it would just, we wanted it to feel like it was a theatricalized version of a movie where it has actually the curtains opening up. And so it was taken a little, always the idea was to make it feel like we knew it was a musical. We weren't trying to hide it. Um, but at the same time, you want it to feel immersive and engaging, you know, that you're not watching it from an arm's length and stuff. And so that balance, I think, you know, in the opening number, where it, you know, you feels like you're watching like a tourist that you just sh- showed up at the plaza and you just walk through the town and you're starting to watch and then how that camera pushes in and you just become part of Evo's world. 
um, I think is super effective. And the one part that I still am blown away by is just after Andres is passing where, you know, Vivo is sitting there in his apartment and the lighting in that scene and then his chase of the song on the rooftops, man, that's still, it still gets me. I still mm. like, I get blown away what they were able to achieve in those moments. It really is astonishingly beautiful what they managed to pull off. I, I'm, it, it, it really is breathtaking to me. Yeah. And I agree. It's not just, you know, not just the director who thinks it's beautiful. I think uh, I agree. And then the response by all the audience, the how many views it's got on Netflix, the 87 percent, I believe, Rotten Tomatoes score. I mean, like it's uh, have you been surprised at all with the response to Vivo? You know, it was inter- the one thing I have been happy. The thing that was because there was no theaters because we were supposed to go to the theaters and it went to Netflix. The one thing I didn't, I haven't, you know, not being like the usual thing where I'd go and see it a couple of times, sneak in the mm-hmm. back, or you know, even the test screenings. We you know we did those virtually. We would have done three or four test screenings in audiences. We didn't really get to do that chance. You know, we didn't have that chance, and so I, I kind of the one thing that was it was like. I would like go on Twitter when it was first like really rolling and kind of just look at what people were posting. It was like, it was like real time commentary around the world, which was really encouraging because so many people posting about their little kids being writing songs and then, you know, like that kind of stuff. And then the other people who had a connection to the culture and to the story and was like, Oh, this is making me cry because of, you know, it's part of my experience. And so the way that they took it, the way that people were responding both as adults um, in a in a way that we did it right um, meant a lot, you know, because it's something that could have been done, you know, we, that would be put a lot of effort into making sure it was done right, um, that part of the storytelling. And then the empowering aspirational part of a girl like Gabby and a guy like Viva, who is an altogether, you know, just a noble character, you know, and that's what I think is nice that, you know, it's a, a guy on a mission that is selfless and doing something for the love of a friend and in this like in this right now and reconnecting with people i think that was nice you know because of you know the lockdown and everything and all the distance that people had not seeing each other for a long time is what everybody went through you know and there's no one who who didn't you know get out of this and say oh every you know i didn't have that experience you know we all did the whole world did which is you know that that was not part of the plan in 2016. We did not know that we were making a, a story about distance and loss and reconnection. And it was going to connect on that level. Yeah. And Sony, totally. Sony Pictures Animation has been absolutely killing it lately with, I mean, obviously yeah. taking over the world with Into the Spider-Verse and then Mitchell's versus right. Machines, outstanding piece that came out in, I think, February maybe of this year or January. Yeah, March, February. Yeah. yeah, something like that. Uh and then they had Wish Dragon and now Vivo as well. Um so doing big things over at, at Sony Pictures Animation. We're gonna we're gonna wrap it up. I want to be respectful of your time. Cool, I did want to ask uh a couple t- couple ending questions. A is there a character in all the all the films you've worked on that you would say you most relate to on a personal level? And then the last thing we'll ask is just what do you want to share about what you're working on now, what to be looking out for, um, projects coming up? And, of course, Garth can chime in and let us know what uh, what I can't include in the in the final cut. So <laughs> Yeah, no. Yeah, I, it's funny. You know, I have eight-year-old twins, so every day I feel a little bit more like Krug. You know what I mean? I just have this thing of trying to run around and keep my kids safe. <laughs> I, you know, it is that – it is. 
the balance of that, and you know, it, it, it like I feel like that as a dad has been it. But you know, I think the the fun part of what Vivo and the special part for me was is that I I, I know that the heart of that character, you know, and the heart of what I know the the idea that always made me why Lynn through all of his great successes, you know, came back to it over and over is because the purity and the beauty of that relationship between Andres and Vivo is something very special. Like I'll always remember that, you know, and I would hope that I would be as, you know, I mean, he's not his kid, but you would hope he would be as good a son or that your son would be as good a son to you as a dad, you know, that <laughs> to carry out somebody's last wish that was good to you and to, to, and to do that. I think it's a, it's an aspirational, he's a, more of an aspirational character and I'm more like Grug, you know, I would say that. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm actually, I'm working at DreamWorks Animation um, on something, and I should be, you know, I just started. Uh, it's not public, um, so, uh, but it will, hopefully will be coming out in the, it is going to be coming out pretty soon, sooner than like 10 years, which is good. Oh, okay, um, right. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, we can check back, and I could tell you uh, another time, but it's not quite public, but uh, yeah, that's um, an animated feature, so. Okay. Very excited about it. And are you directing that? I am. Great. So. Well, I will be on the lookout for that, okay. and and I'll have to reach back yeah. out um, after. Yeah, it comes yeah, out. yeah. Reach back out, maybe. Yeah, or before when we're uh, when we're doing the uh, doing the uh, the the, the pr promotion tours as we do. So that'd oh, be great. Yeah, we'll absolutely. Talk I'd love to. Uh, okay. Garth, thanks so much for setting this up. Yeah, big thanks to to Sony Pictures Animation for helping. Setting up the interview and, and big thanks to Kirk for taking some time out of his very busy schedule to chat with me. And I'm sure the listeners uh, will will have a treat coming their way. Um, just hearing about your story and all the the stuff going into, you know, being where you are now and, and Vivo and all the all the production details and inspiration behind that. It's just really cool to hear. I love these kind of conversations. So thanks a bunch, Kirk. Thank you. Man, that was such a fun interview. So so thankful to uh, Sony Pictures for helping set that up and for Kirk, uh, of course. Wes, what'd you think? Perry, that was so fun. I'm really sad that I had to work. <laughs> yeah, it's a big, it happens. It's a big L for the team. Yeah, you know, it happens sometimes. Um, but, you know, it, you got to listen to it. You actually got to listen to it before everyone else, so you're still special. I well, Perry. My mom does tell me that I'm special, so <laughs> yeah. But no, Perry, that was really cool. Um, one thing that I loved about Kirk was just how excited he was about every single thing you asked him. Could you tell that in his voice? Because I definitely could. Yeah, I mean, it definitely was just one of those people that just seemed to enjoy you know, talking about, he seemed proud of the projects he's worked on and all that stuff. So, uh, it was definitely a treat. Yeah, for treat. sure. I think I loved the beginning when he, when you, uh, brought up that he has degrees in political science and was it economics? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. If I would have been there, I would have said, so why aren't you a governor or the president? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honestly, but somehow that leads you right into filmmaking. Maybe so. we should lead a campaign actually <laughs> totally but yeah. for the next interview we'll ask him about it would you like to start a campaign <laughs> yeah what i mean are you ever going to watch the crudes the same way after talking to kirk now no definitely it's always going to be different right? i feel much more attached now yeah like he made me feel more attached to everything that he talked about even movies that i hadn't seen i'm like wow 
now I feel like I have a stake in this. <laughs> For sure. Uh, well, that was an awesome interview. So sad we couldn't have Wes there, but next time we'll, you know, work happens, right? And we had to we had to get in uh, their schedule where it worked out. And maybe, I'll, maybe I'll just quit my job next time. Maybe next time you'll just quit your job for that specific for that interview. interview for an interview. Yeah, sounds like a perfect idea. I thought Great. so too. Well, until the next episode, Wes. Uh, I mean, you didn't get to make it for the interview, but you made it just in time for the sign out. Uh, I think it'd be important to stay hungry. And even though we're doing a whole bunch of interviews because we're basically famous, stay humble. But through it all, make sure you're staying hydrated. <laughs>